landed at the Friday Five podcast. All right, welcome to uh, part three of the Game of Thrones tribute. I'm once again joined by uh, buddy Michael Whalen. What's up? I guess that's my thing now. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've uh, we've been doing pretty good and kind of you know really digging into the show and. I think this is going to be another good one here. Definitely a lot to dig into, and again, yeah. I, ideally, this will be our final episode. But so let's kick it off quick. <laughs> in, in true Martin fashion, yeah. we might just spread out and never figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Anyway, so what was one of the main uh, things you want to kick off with here? Well, there's a lot of deep themes and just discussions of the characters that I kind of feel like if you're going to talk about Game of Thrones, you really need to hit on, and. Um, One that we definitely talked about and addressed, maybe talked around in some regards, but haven't really done a huge deep dive on, was one Jon Snow, or possibly, almost, Aegon VI, Targaryen. (laughs) Another character that I didn't really, I didn't know where they were going with him. Well, it's kind of interesting, because... At the beginning. Yeah, and I mean, I remember... There being a lot like early days, and again, particularly as a reader, hearing people is like, "What's so important about Jon Snow?" And I'm sitting there like, "What do you mean? What's important about Jon Snow?" Oh my god! Yeah. And then of course, you know, in hindsight, well, yeah, because I had read, because so I I knew, you know, the direction they were headed in, as I mentioned earlier, kind of when I figured out who he was. But but if we like as as viewers, if we had only known how the show goes. Mm. The moment that Ned actually, you know, tells him in season one, I believe, you know, we'll talk about we'll your talk mother. We'll talk about your mother later. <laughs> that that should Yet have again, been dooming himself. <laughs> that um, should have been an immediate like, okay, something else is really going on here. Yeah, and and it was as it turned out. But um, the thing is, and I guess what always just kind of irritated me about people who never really saw the big deal in him was, it's like if nothing else, you have here the primary character with the eyes on what you think for at least most of the story is the primary threat, which is, you know, uh, you know, the white walkers or is there yeah. in the book, the others, you know, the threat beyond the wall, the threat to all humanity. Well, what is centers on? Yeah. Again, gra- granted, ultimately it turns out human nature, biggest threat in the series and <laughs> survives it by the way. You know, with that said, as the story begins, you know, John is the, as far as we know, the bastard son of Ned Stark. And, you know, as pieces fall into place, as the story goes along, we discover that he's actually, the nephew of Ned Stark and the son of Ned's uh, deceased sister, Lyanna Stark, and her apparently husband, Rhaegar Targaryen, meaning he is actually the heir to the Iron Throne. You know, the person with the best claim of all the characters on the board. Do you think Ned just wouldn't tell Cat that, just to make sure that... I'll tell you exactly why he wouldn't tell Cat that. Cat would have sold him out in a New York minute if there had ever been any threat to anything like if there had ever been any threat to her children oh oh wow. guess who this kid is kill him do it you really think that's what yeah I, yeah they beat you over the head with that like her children are her life and she yeah. will do anything for them yeah so okay that's yeah you know, an aside but still i think it's one of the big things uh, you know, one of the big reasons why he decided to take that secret, basically, well, actually, literally take that secret to his grave. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I kind of, you know, there was kind of a point 
I think you'd mentioned a little earlier, you know, we'll talk about your mother later. And by that point, John would have been at the wall. John would have taken the black. And at that point, oh, you can know who your mother is because you've already renounced everything. You're good. Oh, of course, that, you know, that's as, true. Yeah. As things went, yeah. turns out that's not quite the way it went, but yeah. Um, but building on that, you know, uh, John also has the interesting moment where, you know, he had a big death. I believe it was at the uh, end of season five. That was shocking. Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, that I mean, was... It's it's funny, these massive deaths that just kind of disturbed me for so long. You're bringing them up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, another one, you know? That was, course, that was you know, huge. That's the one where they made poor Kit Harrington walk around for a year lying to everybody <laughs> about the fact that he was actually coming back. And yeah. I always remember, particularly as a reader, it being kind of a funny moment for me because that's the one where everybody... You know, the people were like, oh, my God, we had to wait a whole year. And it's like, a whole year? I'm still waiting. You still don't know. Yeah. I, well, we I know, know but, but yeah. I don't. But, yeah, but there ain't a book out that says, oh, yeah, this happened. And so it's like, you know, for all their, for all their complaining about one year, it's like, yeah, well, we're still working on year eight. So cry me a river, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But the main point I want to get to is John's arc is kind of a variant on an archetype which is to say uh, the hidden prince which if you look back through a lot of stories even you know some that are like even pre-biblical you see that quite a lot like many of the sons of Zeus were mm-hmm. effectively this you know the ones that didn't know that they were the son of Zeus which is a decent amount of them um, to a degree you are well not to a degree King Arthur is this like exactly this. If you break it down, you know, what is he? He's the true born heir to you know, England. Yeah. Doesn't know it. Pulls the sword. Oh, well, look at that. King of England. Yeah. And um and actually another one, and this one is biblical, is he's not that different from Moses. If you want to get really technical about it, you know. Moses is born here. He's sent to live, you know, sent down the river. Yeah, discovered yeah. raises an Egyptian print, kind of the op, kind of the kind of opposite. Flip on yeah, it. yeah. Raises royalty. Turns out, you know, He's was not. actually, and you know, an Israelite. But another interesting parallel I thought that was kind of worth noting there was much like John, you know, Moses is the one who got everyone to the promised land, hmm. and then doesn't get to enjoy it himself. Yeah. John, savior of the realm. <laughs> Very much like that. Destroyer of the final, you know, quote-unquote villain, tragic as she may be. And rightful heir to the, well, I guess the uh, the molten pieces of the throne on the floor over there. <laughs> and, you know, doesn't, ultimately winds up back in exile, you know. And now, to a degree, really, it's, yeah, he lost the throne, but he won his freedom. He got to go and do what he wanted to do. But still... I feel that's just kind of an important parallel to point out because of one I was actually thinking about the other day. I was like, you know, it's actually very, you know, in that regard, similar to Moses on two fronts, hmm. you know. And but I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot of that through you know storytelling through history, but in a lot of cases, it does go the more conventional route where you have you know person is actually the son of this person and is actually the true born heir and ruler and whatnot, and eventually they become that and that's your story and that's your payoff yeah yeah that's what you got with king arthur now his ending didn't what you know was a little more tragic than people seem to remember but still 
even if the option was on the table, do you feel like John would have? I mean, I know he's always said he doesn't want the I throne. Want it. Yeah, As he I said mean, fifty-eight times. I wonder what his other so. yeah choice would have been by not taking the throne. Well, that's the thing. It's like, and I may have mentioned this in one of the earlier ones. If I did, sorry. But my speculation, if you just asked me, you know, what I thought was going to happen, I ultimately thought, in some regard, Danny was going to die, not the way she did. Yeah, and that John was going to reluctantly wind up on the throne, yeah. like in a sort of not happy for him, but he's the best guy for the, or not a happy ending for him per, personally, but like he's the best guy for the job kind of thing. Like that was still the case. That's what I figured yeah. was, <laughs> you know, the definition of bittersweet. And turns out there's a lot of different kinds of bittersweet, but there we yeah. are. And but you know, like I said, it, it, it's interesting sort of see how. Actually, another example of the Hidden Prince, right off the bat, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually perfect. <laughs> so, well, I mean, like I said, all throughout history, whether it's Perseus, whether it's Luke Skywalker, you know, to some degree, Superman. Yeah. Moses. A bazillion other Greeks that were fathered by various gods that I can't think of right now, but because we'd be here for two hours. Hercules? He might have known. Yeah, I can't remember, can't remember for sure on him. I think in Paris, in the case of Perseus, like Perseus knew, but like there's others who didn't. So it's all kind of yeah, long story. But anyway, like I said, we're not here to discuss Greek myth all the way through. So yeah, that's an eight part episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, like I said, just the point of the matter. You have you know many of those throughout, and you know toying with convention the way Martin typically does and you know the showrunners continuing all of that that's kind of what you got here it's like ultimately he does check all the boxes he is a hidden prince he's hidden away from his actual dest quote unquote his actual destiny and he does fulfill that destiny it just happens in a way that no one would have ever expected you know which is ultimately more you know more tragic than it is like hero striking down the villain in some final you know big fight or something like that and then he you never, know and he never the gets on and he never gets the final payoff i mean well i mean kind of depends on i think he's happy where he is but. it's a matter of perspective yeah because it's like his final payoff you know what did he want to do well i wanted to spend his time with the wildlings up in the you know the quote-unquote true north yeah you know with Ghost, etc., this, that, and the other, and that's ultimately what he got. Like With I said, it's like he lost the he lost the crown, but he won the freedom. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, it's in a weird way, it is a happy ending for him, but for a lot of viewers who wanted John on the throne, it was very much you know, to a big degree, not a happy ending. Yeah. And there's a lot more, I suppose, that could be said about John, but in the interest of time, we should probably move along just a bit. Um... And that actually bleeds into something. Speaking of how John went about saving the kingdom, mm. which is, I think, a big thing for this series, is the true nature of honor in the story. And basically what it really is versus what it's kind of set up to be, which is, you know, you have a lot of the characters that, you know, start off with, you know, this mentality, you know, from Sansa to various others on in who are like you know oh knights are noble and then you know of course like you have the hound yelling no they're not my brother's a knight look what you did to me yeah yeah and but the thing is there are three interesting moments in the story i guess i work good in threes people that 
I guess you could say, basically where you have a character, well, in two cases you have a character who was very honorable and then did something that technically checks the box for dishonorable, but did it for a good reason. Then you have another one that's kind of a little more ambiguous about it, but still. With that said, let's get into it, and since we were talking to John anyway, let's start with John. You know, John, to a fault, tells the truth. Mm-hmm. He's honest, he's upfront. he's much like, you know, he, he steers away, uh, you know, he's good at killing and he's good at warfare, uh, but he does not enjoy it and he does not relish in it, which is ironically something he has in common with both his actual father and the person he thought was his father. Like, Rhaegar was fairly good at battle, barring the one where he got killed. But, you know, he didn't relish in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that comes up. There's a conversation, I think, with Barristan and Danny where she actually, or where Barristan actually mentions that. He was suited for it, but didn't love it. it wasn't obsessed with it. And again, one of those things you can go back and go, eh, that was a tell. But then again, like I said, Ned, same way. So hmm. it's interesting that you have kind of parallel between two characters who were probably never on the other, on the right side of anything, and yet they both very much shared that. And then ultimately both of them one the actual father to this person, one the metaphor, you know, or not metaphorical, one the adoptive father. Yeah. But like I said, that's what I was saying. Uh, you know, one of his big things, almost to a fault, is telling the truth. And he, even to the point, you know, that at one point in one of the later seasons, you know, admits, yeah, well, uh, I can't let you two fight it out because I've already pledged to Danny. And you know, you have that moment where Tyrion is like. Has it ever occurred to you to lie? Maybe just once. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah, get yeah. us through. And he goes on his little rant about, you know, after a point, if everybody lies, words don't matter, nothing means anything. And you know, yeah. you're not wrong about that, but there it we does, are. And, I guess it does help in certain situations. Yeah. yeah. But then ultimately, it's like, in some regards, his most noble act was killing Danny. And in his most noble act, he had to basically kind of go about it in a not so noble way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, we kind of mentioned this earlier in kind of talk of Danny, but, you know, like I said, he went in there hoping to be talked out of it. You know, he'd had his little conversation with Arya. He'd had his little conversation with Tyrion. And, and that's what he flat out told her, too. Pretty much talked me, or I forget what he said, convinced me or I don't, something like that. He pretty much told her to... I can't remember word for word, but something he he said something to the. I remember there was the point where he said, you know, but you know, but how will we know if it's right? And you know, basically, I decide what's right, and then you know, sort of a, yeah, said something about, yeah, but what about other people who think they're right? And she's like, they don't get to choose, and that's the moment that kind of snaps him. But it's like, and I guess it's ambiguous whether or not this is a lie. But you know, he says, "You'll always be my queen," which I think was true in its own way. Just yeah. Basically, I'll always love you. I mean, that's kind of it. And there is sort of a, I hate to say it, but kind of a putting old Yeller down kind of aspect at this, where it's like Danny has to go and he has to be the one to do it. Yeah. And so, again, it's ultimately a very heroic act. But he kind of, again, like I said, has to go about it in a somewhat, you know, ignoble way, be, you know, by way of how he does it, because he says that and then goes in for the kiss. And while she's in the throes of kissing her freaking nephew gross <laughs> incest again yeah yeah he pulls the dagger and Stop kills her it. off yeah and that's like i said it's just interesting because like there are parallels to that throughout and that's why i think the nature of honor in the series was kind of an important thing to discuss because 
again with Ned. You have Ned. He's noble. He's honorable. He likes to tell the truth. Telling the truth to a degree is what got him killed. And you have, of course, you know, the Tower of Joy, which we don't need to go too deep into. But as everyone who watched the show knows, he came back with a baby and a dead sister and claimed the baby as his own. Didn't say much beyond that. And to the point that it, you know, caused a rift with his wife. So there was, you know, noble, honorable, honest Ned had one lie that he would never tell. And again, died not, you know, which I kind of mentioned John, but, you know, died never telling that. You know, went to the grave with that secret. Hmm. And the only time, again, when he push came to shove. Now, granted, he had figured out that the Lannisters were... In fact, not Baratheons, but Lannisters, and was going about trying to do the right thing. But, you know, ultimately, he's when push comes to shove, it's like his daughter's lives are on the line. It's like, we need you to own up to. You need to say you committed treason. You need to say that Joffrey's the rightful king, blah, blah, blah. This is all it was supposed to get him, you know, out of, get him, not the pardon, but get him sent to the wall, you know, yeah, exile, yeah. et cetera. And he does all that and ultimately does it for his children. But again, it's you know a person who's gone through out the story does not relish killing, tries to tell the truth, etc. And in his final moment, does tell a lie and a fairly big one, but does it for the right else. reason, yeah, yeah to save his children, yeah. And you know, for all the good that did, but hey, he tried um, <laughs> nothing. But that moves me along uh, a little bit to Jamie, um, and Jamie is a little bit of a darker and more complicated twist on this but as comes up i cannot remember specifically the episode it was after jamie had lost his hand but it was one where he and brianne are basically off yeah in the weird bath thing together yeah and he kind of goes on his rant and it's when the first time you really start to realize that he didn't just up and kill King Ares because yeah oh his dad's coming through and screw it I'll just defect and that's I'll a be really fine. powerful moment in the show too yeah it's one of it's arguably like well yeah, that's one of Jamie's top moments I'd say I don't know if it's his top but it, it's got to be top two or three yeah and but again that's when it basically is revealed that you know this thing that he's been called all these years the Kingslayer you know that ignoble no good sorry bastard the Kingslayer turn on the king uh, for a no reason blah blah yeah. blah you know everybody like when this all happened they wanted to send him to the wall you know trade that white cloak for a black one etc yeah. and in reality his finest act was killing King Ares to prevent King Ares ironically from burning down the entire city of wildfire <laughs> Again, well, he tried his best, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. daughter came along <laughs> later, burned it all down with dragon fire. Yeah. But, but I mean, again, it, it's, like I said, it's interesting because, like, in two cases, you have, like, super honorable characters who ultimately did break that honor but did it for the greater good. And then you have a character who's not just dishonorable, but, you know, has questionable morality throughout. You know, yeah. He's done a lot of good things. He's done a lot of horrible things. But ultimately, his finest act is the thing that is that people revile him for. Yeah, he's very much a shade of gray. Yeah, and we don't really get, you know, we don't get to see, I'm sure probably the books will cover this, we don't really get to see how the public opinion on John went. I would assume favorable, considering 
you know, Danny burned down an entire city with a whole bunch of innocent people. And I can't see a lot of people saying, oh, that guy's a real prick, ain't he? Murderer. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure it'll be complicated in the books, but you know what I mean. I, it's still, you know, like I said, uh, it's just interesting because it's like the parallel there, you know, you have what honor is supposed to be. And then it's like the most honorable acts of these three men in some regards all involved kind of going against what honor is supposed to be. Yeah. Honor, yeah. yeah, I guess you can only be pushed so far before honor doesn't mean as much as protecting the ones you love. Well, but that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Isn't that the ultimate form of honor? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. the thing. The nature of honor by itself is up in the air, and that kind of, kind of that's covered in his rant because he's like, you know, okay, you know, I'm sworn to this king here. This king wants to burn down this entire city. By the way, at the gates is my dad here, who obviously I don't want to kill him. He's yeah. my father. Okay, what's the honorable thing to do in this situation? Everybody pick one. You yeah. know, like, that's not the exact recreation of the rant, obviously, but you get my point. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his... So, I mean, you know, again, that's kind of the beauty of it to me. You know, the fact is, there's no, there's no such thing as cut and dry. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes a dishonorable act is the most honorable thing to do, as it turns out. That's true, yeah. That... And I think there's one more interesting, like, just finishing that up, I think it's basically one of the more interesting themes of you know the story as a whole both mediums just kind of that question of what is honor really and that just because a person's walking around with a title or this that or the other doesn't mean they're super noble and just because this person is reviled for x y or z doesn't necessarily mean they're as evil as everybody thinks they are well it kind of goes back to what you said earlier or maybe last episode about um sacrificing two to three people Mm -hmm. to save thousands yeah you know it's that's just one of the situations where I don't know if honor is even thrown in there. Well, I mean, that's one of the very twisted things about one of Tywin. the worst decisions you'd ever have to make. He's know? something of a pragmatist, but he's not just a complete 100% by the book evil character. He's done a lot of horrible things, but there's still some nuance there, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Oh, God, I said nuance. I've become Reddit. <laughs> anyway. Um. And just one final thought on that, which I'm kind of calling an audible here. This wasn't in the notes. That's right. We take notes, people. (laughs) Something I just thought was interesting also, like the hound. Okay. The hound, you know, depending on what side you're on, brutal murderer or quietly one of the more heroic characters, kind of just depending on when you're dealing with whatever. Yeah. But he always swore off knighthood and would never take it and would always say, I'm not a knight. And he had a pronounced grudge against knighthood because it was like, if knighthood is for noble and honorable and great men, then yeah. my brother, the guy who burned my face half off as a kid for taking a toy, really doesn't deserve it, let alone all the other crimes that Gregor Kiglang committed throughout the series. Well, he was definitely another definition. I mean, I, almost every one of the shows is a shit agree. I mean, really, but he was... Mm. Definitely. Like nobody's just plate yeah. pure. <laughs> There's no one that's just good. But there are absolutely some characters that are just irredeemable, like just straight friggin' evil. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. You know, again, Joffrey and Ramsey come to mind. I'm sure we do more on that, but yeah. But as I said, you know, we could go for hours about that, but that's kind of a, you know, it's a good sum up of how honor kind of factors into the universe. Oh, sure. So moving along, um, to what I suspect will be Brent's favorite part of all three of these episodes. Are you ready? 
That's right. We get to talk about Melisandre. She is beautiful a fake redhead. on the inside a and out. fake redhead. She likes burning children. Fake redhead. She's old. Fake ginger. <laughs> also fake young. But with person. her necklace, she's all right. Yeah, about 200 years old, pretty, maybe. Pretty, like pretty good. All right, Larry David. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where to even start? Um... Her introduction into the story, I believe in the show and the books, pretty on the nose, which is it starts off with somebody trying to poison her, and they wound up drinking that poison drink that oh, was yeah, for yeah, her yeah. somehow. And I watched that episode a while back. Yeah. It's one of those, you were speaking of Nate, you know, like Shades of Grey, Melisandre is kind of a shining example of that, because again, there's a lot of very horrible things that she does. But then at the but end, a lot of times there's a reason behind it all, and ultimately, what she wants is to you know seemingly to bring down the Night King, and to bring about you know the prince that was promised. Yeah, who she initially thought was uh, apparently initially thought was Stannis, and then came to the conclusion maybe it was John. And there's actually more on prophecy later. We're gonna do a deeper dive on this. But thing is, I think she was right about John. Just again, not right about the prince that was promised. You know going to bring down the threat to the realm well the threat to the realm ultimately didn't turn out to be the night king it turned out to be danny but what have you anyway um that's true yeah but yeah a little bit about her that's not really or i don't know how much or how deeply it's covered in the show not much if i recall but she comes from a place called a shy which you never see in the show it's called the shadow lands nice and ominous name for you know place I heard. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. Nothing. Mm, but <laughs> I was gonna mention something Reddit talks about, uh, but I'm not going to because I don't want you to hit me over the head with that chair. Uh, where's your steel folding chair? <laughs> I'll just use that one. It's more. The sound would be better. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she comes from the lands of a shy. Yes. And uh, not much is known about those. Other than, well, for like I said, called the Shadowlands. Generally, not a lot of places called the Shadowlands that are, you know, sound fun and <laughs> adventurous. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine Disney's profits if they called it Shadowland. A new park opening. Oh, goody. Shadowland. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, so with her, you. Like I said, she's actually one of the. I mean, granted, you have the friggin' White Walkers introduced in episode one, but she's one of the primary characters to kind of first bring magic into it. As we mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. she's a shadow binder. Yeah. Meaning she, in some way, shape, or form, sex, uh, <laughs> gets impregnated with shadow babies, which she can then send to pick off various characters. There's yeah. also other little moments throughout the show, which we don't need to highlight, but like the burning of the leeches and speaking the names of the three kings, who did ultimately kick off, so did she or didn't she? Who's to say? Yeah. She should have had a few of those shadow babies. This show would have been a lot... Uh... Eh, shorter handful more in the books but she could have had sex sex tuplets or something another interesting thing in the books though is like as the as things go on as more shadow babies happen like stannis gets more and more haggard and withered looking and wait there's more yeah oh a lot well a few more at least (laughs) but there's a handful of there's enough that like i said as you you see that it's basically starting to drain the life out of Stannis, which is something, again, the show, and we talked about its handling of supernatural elements, it kind of just 
bowled over and yeah. kept going with. But one of the powers that's actually not explicitly or exclusively hers and that kind of makes a reappearance in the story with Birth of the Dragons is her power to bring those back from the dead. Now, the first person to actually do this is Thoros of Mir, who brings back Beric Dondarrion. That's the, his powers are never really explained, are they? I mean, how he can do that? Other than just praying to the Lord of Light? Well, that's the thing. There are little hints, and it's even hinted at at the show, but not to a great degree. When you have the warlocks in Season 2 that kidnapped Danny, that their magic has oh, gotten yeah. a lot stronger now that dragons are back in the world. So there's sort of a argument to be made in the books and in the show that there's something to do with magic power being a little more strong with dragons in the world than without dragons in the world as you know hmm. magical beings you kind of run into questions in the show and in the books as to you know whether or not there are gods pulling the strings or not and there's a little more talking about the actual gods of Westeros we'll get to eventually, but just for the record, Martin has stated that it's an agnostic universe in the sense meaning that there will never be anything that's clearly, definably, oh, a god did it. Oh, yeah. And so that kind of ties in a little bit with the dragons, and like I said, is it the Lord of Light, or is it the fact that there are dragons in the universe again? Who's to say? You know, ambiguous about it, but you know, the implication is that definitely with the presence of the dragons, you know, Magic is stronger. And yeah. again, so. Which makes no sense, but. <laughs> I didn't write the universe, don't blame me. Um, but also, what, what part? I mean, what do we have to compare it to? It's magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the old Xena thing. A wizard did it. Yeah. Well, okay. But wizard. <laughs> anyway. But, you know, as I was saying, though, back to Beric. Uh, he's the first character that's actually brought back from the dead by Thoros of Mir. If I recall, you know, Melisandre witnesses this and then later uses similar trick or gives an attempt and winds up bringing back John. Now, in the book, we have, and this was brought up a teensy bit earlier, but we'll continue with it now. In the book, you have one extra person who's uh, brought back by the uh, supposed Lord of Light or magic or dragons or some weird comet or whatever other stuff is causing everything. I forgot about the comet. Yeah, everybody else did too. <laughs> Apparently the writers included, because yeah. I don't think we ever saw it again after season two. But um, I guess it didn't factor in too much. No. But, um, you know, in the books, as mentioned, of course, you have... Beric, uh, you don't have John yet because, as of the end of uh, the final book, John's laying there dying in the snow. Thanks for that, Martin. And the dent in my wall. <laughs> nice cliffhanger. Um, but you also have Lady Stoneheart, which is the revived, almost in a pet cemetery fashion, Catelyn Stark. By that, I don't mean they buried her in an Algonquin burial ground, just that she came back. Let's say not quite right. As Judd says, sometimes dead is better. And uh, there's no better example of that probably in the books than with Lady Stoneheart, who unfortunately you you know, you who view the show never got to experience. Yeah. Um, Catelyn had been dead three days. Uh, Beric, instead of dying as he does, again, because we don't even get to, we, we're not even that far in the books because those books don't exist, but 
Beric dies in the books by giving his life, like the kiss of life or whatever they call it, to Catelyn. And he gives it to her. Like I said, she's been like dead in a ditch for like three days at that point or Ooh. in the river or something. So he dies for good? Yes. Wow. Okay. To bring her back. And um, another important fact is, at least in the books, the last thoughts that Catelyn has, like before she dies, she has completely snapped. She has completely lost her mind. So she dies having gone completely insane and then is then brought back, you know, three days later. Yeah. As an already insane, already pretty vengeful and, you know, not one to be trifled with person to begin with. And now she's undead and not real thrilled about it and is basically just consumed utterly by vengeance. Yeah. And goes about, you know, throughout, like, you don't see a lot of her, but she takes over the Brotherhood without banners. They become a little bit more militant in their um, payback of, shall we say, Lannister soldiers and Freys and whatnot. And um, it would have been interesting to see that in the show, and I kind of wish maybe they'd gone in that direction, but... Yeah, I was really, you know, once I found out about it, which I kind of <clears> spoiled it, which I mentioned last time. Last episode, mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to that, and I was bummed out that we didn't see her. And you know, I'm also wondering in the books, which mm-hmm. you're never probably going to get to because it'll true. probably be in the last book. You know, if she if she takes the place, you know, to save Arya in the end. There's a weird part of me that has a feeling Arya might have to wind up mercy killing her or something, but oh well, I don't yeah. because I it seems like she's too far gone. And book, I mean, like yeah. I said in the book, you just kind of have to see. You'd have to read it to really kind of get what I'm saying here. Yeah, but yeah. Like I said, it's it's one of those things though that kind of highlights the fact, and I kind of mentioned this before, but that Melisandre and the Lord of Light and whatever magic that they wield is not necessarily 100 percent good. Yes, their main goal is an honorable one. It's about to say they their main goal of, is you know noble. I would. Yeah, they want to get rid of you know. Like I said in the book, I believe it's called the Great Other, but, you know, effectively the Night King, the Night's King, and his entire army, what have you. So, but it, but, but at the same the time, the way they want to they go about doing it, like, they have very little concern for what it wrecks or what it destroys on the yeah. way to it. And they know they have a purpose. They don't understand the purpose. But... Which is actually another thing. Melisandre, and I think it kind of touch on this earlier but you know has is notorious for misreading prophecy and that's something that's like you're hit with a lot in the books and then of course in the show you see the few you know quite a few handfuls of examples of it and then you know seemingly gets it right just right there as the end when she comes back to winterfell you yeah. know and gives a little wink and a nod to a certain person who <laughs> goes sprinting past the uh confused other with the hair that moves like, huh, and <laughs> yeah. brings down the Night King. But regardless, yeah, uh, there's not really a whole lot else to say about her. I mean, I, I, I will say that this is, I think, kind of an important thing. Okay. The characters, when they're brought back in, um, or when they're brought back to life in the books, it's a little bit more ominous. In the show, they kind of just come back to life. And it's like, Oh, you're not dead now. Nope. All right, then. In the books, like, I remember this actually, because, you know, Barrett goes down like three or four different times. Yeah. Maybe even up to five or six. And 
says after a point, he's like, uh, I'm a little less me each time. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see how that goes with John because, you oh, know, yeah. obviously he's exactly the same pretty much. I mean, well, theoretically, like, I mean, I guess there's a possibility the that John survives it somehow, but I suspect that that's not something that they just came up with and that, you know, Melisandre, Melisandre's at the wall when all this happens where John gets murdered. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I caught that when you said that earlier and I guess mm-hmm. I'm, so at the end of the book, he's just, he's stabbed and he's dying. Mm-hmm. He's not dead. Ambiguous, but you get the point. Yeah. Yeah. But basically kind of about how they left off on the ship. Now the yeah. reasons are different. Like in the book, he, that's when he declares his reason, like, okay, we're about to break the night watch vows and we're going to go and we're going to fight Ramsey Bolton because we cannot win this war here as long as Ramsey Bolton is alive. Mm-hmm. And that's why they snap and assassinate him versus the show version where I don't even remember all the broad strokes of it, but I they think it was because it's mainly about the wild, the wildlings. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. he does that in the books too, but it's like he did that and then he did that. And that was the final straw. Yeah. Whereas like with that one, they just kind of, you get the point. But like I said, so it'll be interesting to see in book and, you know, I am hopeful that we will get that book hopefully pretty soon now. It's only been eight years. It'll be interesting to see if John comes back as John, John fully yeah. or if he comes back a little off. Stoneheartish. I don't know about Stoneheartish, <laughs> but, you know, just like something where it's like very clearly not just character anymore, more something of a supernatural element. Yeah. Don't know. It'll be the first time we see that from that perspective because that's the other thing is like Cat is a POV character and as soon as she's dead and comes back as Lady Stoneheart, she's off the board. Like you don't. Oh. You're not in the mind of Cat anymore. Of course, the mind of Cat is broken anyway, so it's like all you get was a lot of like kill, 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 stab, 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 hang, 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 die, 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 but eh, yeah, little things. Um, you know, they're not going to, I suspect they're not going to do away with John, so mm. I guess, I'm guessing we'll get to see the better example of kind of what he's thinking after it. But like I said, that, you know, just seemed like that's worth covering because it is in the show almost not really ignored but kind of an afterthought sure anyway uh love you melisandre god you're weird she's not a real (laughs) redhead jeez it's gross (laughs) also she's like two thousand years old dude i mean seriously come on anyway moving on from brent's unhealthy crush on a fake redhead (laughs) which who might be a thousand years old Eh, um good for age I think now's actually a decent time to dive into just a little bit about the Westerosi gods. And I already covered covered George R.R. Martin's intent, which is, you know, as I mentioned, an agnostic universe. You know, one where, like, unlike, say, where the Iliad, where you actually have the gods pulling strings. In this one, it's like, it'll always be ambiguous. Maybe it's the gods, maybe it's the magic, the comic, what have you. But, you know, there are a couple of gods that are worth speaking of because they factor into the show and are in some cases like the decisions of people in the show. You, of course, have the old gods in the north. And, uh, unfortunately, I can't really explain much about the old gods in the north because I don't know because we haven't really gotten to them. (laughs) Haven't touched on it. Something, something, weirwood trees. Something, something, three-eyed raven. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, didn't get much to him in the books, and the show, as we mentioned, 
you know, kind of dampened a lot of the supernatural aspects. So I know that's all interrelated, but I don't mm-hmm. know much about them. Like, I don't, you know, like they're never named. They're just called the old gods. And it's established oh, okay. that like the where the weirwood tree is like their. I guess I was just assuming yeah. in the books they. Yeah, I thought maybe just as a viewer I was lost on. <laughs> <laughs> no, as a reader I'm lost on it too. Yeah, uh, the religion, not the gods so much, but the religion you probably see the most in the show, which uh, you know comes up a lot, is the the faith of the seven, and you know we. Uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this. It's like if I had to bet on any gods in the show actually being fictitious, I'd say it's probably them. But they're the ones that um, they were all they were the gods of Westeros brought over by I can't quite remember uh, the Andals maybe something like that. And ultimately, it's the faith that Aegon the Conqueror adopted when he came over and um, conquered. Well, redundant there. Sorry, <laughs> but. Mainly is kind of a peace offering, you know, like, hey, you know, sorry about burning several of you. Anyway, I'll join your religion <laughs> I'll now. I'll adopt your religion, yeah. How we're friends. <laughs> By the good, way, right? we're going to need a slight clause on incest. Anyway, <laughs> not making that up. That's literally yeah. in one of the books. Oh, wow. um, The new one, actually, Fire and Blood. But the anyway, the aspects of the seven are the father, the mother, the maiden, the crone, the warrior, the smith, and the stranger. Uh, most of those you can probably kind of do the math on. Obviously, the father being basically divine justice, etc., judges the souls of the dead. The mother representing mercy, peace, fertility, childbirth. The maiden, purity, innocence, love, and beauty. The crone, you know, being elderly, wisdom and foresight. Hmm. The warrior, strength and courage in battle. The smith, creation and craftsmanship which leads us to the stranger which you might wonder what does a stranger represent because that one's not quite so on the nose yeah stranger is basically the embodiment of death oh and the unknown so and actually uh sandor gained the hound his horse is named stranger after after the yeah after the, the stranger huh. um and don't be wrong there are countless other religions in the series and the books and whatnot, but like I said, I figured we'd focus mainly on the ones that pop up in the show. Yes. Yeah. And we'll do a little bit more about faceless men later, but another aspect or another one of the gods that focuses heavily is the many faced god. And if you remember the temple, like obviously this is elaborated on in the books, but like in the temple you had there's one scene where there's like a lot of statues and you see in the back like there's a lion, there's a goat, there's the stranger, the aforementioned stranger from the seven, there's mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And it's like they're all representations. It's basically the, they took kind of the representations of death in all the other religions and that's their one god, the god of death. Oh, wow. Okay. And so that's technically kind of what the faceless men are. It's like, it's not just like a guild of assassins who, oh yeah, pay us and we'll go off and, or we'll go off someone. Like there's actually a religious practice behind it. And, you know, like yeah. I said, that's worship of the many faced God, which, you know, as I kind of point out, you know, there's only one death. Now, <clears throat> just not a lot I can say about that because I think the show kind of covered it. And also again, in the books, uh, it's not, covered 
too elaborately, but I mean, that, what I said is the basic point of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have much in the way of an opinion. The man says agnostic universe. I assume he means agnostic universe. Obviously, death exists, but not necessarily personified in that yeah. one. And, you know, like I said, there's other little bits and pieces here and there, but those are, you know, the primary ones to get into. Uh, with that, um, again, kind of Mel Sanders struck me as sort of a springboard on this. I figured maybe we should talk about prophecy in general as it relates to this story. Um, well, she's a huge part of that, too. I mean, that's... Yeah, which <laughs> will come up. Um, but the there are basically two prophecies in the story I kind of want to zero in on here. Yeah. And uh, one, and we already kind of covered this a little, but we'll expand upon it a bit. Uh, that's the prophecy of the prince that was promised. Now, <sighs> I'm not going to be able to remember all the notes of it because it's something rather complicated, but it's, I believe the guy's name was Azora High or something like that. Like, he was forging the sword, Lightbringer, which is brought up at first when she makes a sword glow or something like that to convince everybody that Stannis is this guy. Um, but I believe he forged it first and he tried to quench it in water and the sword broke. He forged it again. He plunged it into the chest of a lion and the sword still broke. And then he forged it again. He plunged it into the chest of his, uh, beloved, you Mm. know, his wife, his lover, something like that. And that time it didn't break and thus became the sword Lightbringer. Now, um, there's a couple, you know, candidates throughout who are suspected to possibly be the prince that was promised. Of course, there's Stannis, who, nope, not him. And then it was kind of left with, well, maybe it's Danny, and most likely it's John. And if you want to get really technical, kind of about how things all went, John really does fit all those parallels. It's like, okay, he, yeah. now granted, he's not the one who actually killed the Night King. But without him, I mean... He's a quarterback, basically, yeah. yeah. It's like, she's the ball carrier, but he's the one who, you know, yeah. And it's like, okay, he defeats the others, all right? There's plunging your sword into, quote-unquote, water, ice. Okay. You have the feet of the lions. Okay, that would be the Lannisters. He's hmm, part of it. Hmm. And then, you know, fulfilling the prophecy, where does he plunge the uh, dagger ultimately but into the heart of his beloved Danny. Oh wow. So it's a kind of off the gosh, I never thought of the mark yeah. doesn't quite mix up, but I mean it's it's Martin and it's prophecy, so we expect somewhere to go quite exactly as you think. But it's like but again it's a case where John manages to hit all the notes without technically you know what I mean? Like loose enough that's like, yeah, okay, well he still hit him regardless, yeah. Yeah. Hit him, but not quite in the way that was expected. Um, the other prophecy I wanted to uh, focus on was Cersei's, because there's a significant difference between how it goes down in the show and how it goes down in the book. In the show, you have her meeting Maggie the Frog. That's the weird witch mm. in the woods. I think it's the beginning of season four. One of the few flashbacks or that they do like initially they weren't going to do flashbacks and they decided okay we kind of have to and they did the one with Cersei um 
but you know, she asks like how many children she'll have, or children with the king, something like the king will have a dozen, you'll have three. And then gold shall be their crowns, gold shall be their shrouds. Meaning, you know, you'll have three royal children and you'll see them all die. Now, the show, the book goes further with that, the show cuts off. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because there's a sec, like a segment of the fandom who always, the best way I can describe it is it's like they stuck to the book prophecy, even though the show made it a point to omit a big part of the book prophecy here. Yeah. I'm about to explain. In the books, there's a follow-up, and I'm not quoting this exactly, but the nutshell is, and the Valonqar shall, or let's see, uh, the other part of it is you'll be overthrown by a queen younger and more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got that in the show. You know, or, well... Look, some, look, some people might prefer Lena Headey. Some people might prefer Amelia Clark. That part's negotiable. But a younger queen, at least. Yeah. With that. But, you know, still. <laughs> but that was part of the prophecy. You know, you'll be overthrown by a queen, younger, more beautiful. Basically, your kids will all die. And then there was the third part, which was, and the Valonqar will wrap his hands around your throat and strangle the life out of you, or something to that effect. Mm. The Valonqar part is never brought up in the show. And that's the part where I kind of realized, okay, I think things are going to go slightly different in book than in show. And, of course, they'd also soften Cersei significantly, which... Do you think... And then they harden her back up. That's a, you sorry. think Jamie might kill her in the book? Oh, that's the thing. Uh, he's the most... I, I think it's almost a lock. Because, like <laughs> I said, their relationship in the book is significantly different at this point, where he's... Like, he's at some point sent a letter, you know, to come represent her in a trial by combat and he either has it burnt without reading it or reads it and throws it in the fire. I believe he has it burnt without reading it. So, even better. Yeah. And what you kind of have there, though, is it's very similar to, like, what you get in Greek, like, a lot of Greek prophecy and prophecy and Greek tragedies specifically where you have a character who is told this is going to happen to you. This character then goes out of their way to avoid it by trying to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, which ensures that the thing that they were told is going to happen winds up happening. Yeah. Like in Greek mythology, you have like, for example, Oedipus, he's told, you know, you're going to kill your father and marry your mother. (laughs) Well, little does he know he's adopted. So he runs off and, you know, leaves his kingdom behind. I got you. And ultimately winds up killing his father, marrying his mother, and then finding out, oh, I did fulfill that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, You also have, I mean, there's plenty of other examples, but just one that's always kind of stood out to me was, I I forget the name of the character, but he was the father or the grandfather of Perseus. Basically, you know, your grandson will, one day you're going to have a grandson, he's going to kill you. Was mm-hmm. the basic gist of it, and he's like, "Okay, well, not if I have anything to say about it." Locked his daughter up in a tower. Zeus, being Zeus, came in and impregnated his daughter, mm. giving him a grandson. Okay, well, he straps them into a coffin, tosses them into the ocean, goes on about life. Meanwhile, you know, they wash up on an island. Perseus grows up to be, you know, Perseus, famous Greek hero. Blah blah blah. Uh, is sent on what is effectively a suicide mission to slay Medusa, you know, pulls it off, comes back, brings down the big monster and whatnot. And then 
in Greek myth, and there's a couple of different tellings of it, but this has always been my preferred one. Comes back to the court that, you know, knowingly sent him on the suicide mission, and they're like, all right, so you back here with Medusa's head? And he's like, yep, sure am. Pulls it out and turns them all to stone. <laughs> in the galley there, you know, looking at all this was his grandfather. So oh, fulfilling wow. the prophecy. Yeah. And again, one of those cases where it's like, this all could have been avoided if you'd just been kind of normal about it, but nope. Yeah. Had to you know, go that <laughs> extra mile. And you have that with Cersei. You know, mm. she knows a, a, I should mention also, Valencar is Valyrian for little brother. Now, in her mind, that means Tyrion is going to be her downfall. Thing is, she's six minutes older than Jamie. So Jamie is also her little brother. You hearing me there? Yes. Just saying. And, but again, she's gone out of her way in life to avoid being, you know, to avoid this, that, and the other. And it's like, and in doing so has actually, you know, in book at least, has ensured a couple of deaths or one death of her kid so far. Um, You see how that plays out in the show, which mm-hmm. some of it might play out differently, but the point is, yeah, they're all going to die. Yeah. That, like, that part's indisputable. Um, And, uh, also, you know, has gone about her life kind of making an enemy of Tyrion when she didn't need to, which does kind of put him on the board as a possible candidate. But the fact is, she's quietly doing the same thing to Jamie without realizing it. And as far as being overthrown by a queen that's, you know, younger and more beautiful, in her head, that's Marjorie Tyrell. Yeah. And. Well, Jamie kind of never comes to really. His senses, too. I mean. Yeah. It's... But she never really, at least in the book so far, Danny's not even like an option and it's pretty obvious that it's going to be danny she's not even worried about her yeah but again that's one of the things is like we know that because we're reading the books yeah she's a character in the book she doesn't know all this yeah yeah oh yeah so you know but it's but i mean like i said it you know mirrors a lot of greek tragedy in that respect because you have you know again the character who's gone out of their way to try and prevent something and in doing that is basically making sure that it's gonna go to <laughs> it's happening anyway moving along i think now's probably a good time to talk about the nature of vengeance in the story and that I think the primary ways to talk about that would be to focus on two characters Arya and the Hound and drives uh, them both yeah yeah and uh yeah I think uh what was you, what were you saying about Arya a little bit earlier maybe she's like the poster child for vengeance I mean you yeah. know it's that's her only goal pretty much at the end of season one. I mean, yeah, and through most of the show, as it yeah. turns out. And, uh, you know, in satisfying fashion, pulls off quite a few of those, worth noting. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when we start here, you have Arya, and she's basically like this little, you know, kind of a happy go lucky tomboy. Mm. Can't stand her sister. Sister can't stand her, etc. Yeah. Better with weaponry in a lot of cases than some of her brothers, you know. And then, you know, is slowly over the course of it, you know, basically turned into like just this hardened, badass assassin character. Yeah. And given pretty good reason for it, obviously, which we don't really need to delve into too much. But, you know, she was, if you'll recall, she was at the <clears throat> at the Red Wedding, a late arrival to it, you might say. Yeah, her and the Hound outside. Yeah. And the Hound, if I recall, had actually knock her out and drag her away to keep her from going in there and getting herself killed. Yeah. So it's the first time you saved her yeah, life. Which is kind of part of the reason <laughs> I wanted to kind of tie these two together because you have characters that are inextricably, you know, or, or yeah, that are like basically interconnected, you know, through their own 
through quest vengeance. through vengeance throughout yeah. and just circumstance and that. And in his case, of course, as I mentioned before, his face was burned off by his, you know, loving, kind, wonderful older brother of the mountain yeah. early in life. And basically he had a hunger for vengeance from about that moment up until his last moment in the show. Yeah. And but I mean in both cases and I mean you know like I said I think the way you could basically describe it is to say that ultimately kind of the story's take on vengeance is that yeah you should probably not go for it and just let things go because look what happens to the character that does let things go hmm. after well after a point and look what happens to the character who doesn't yeah. and you know they have that little I don't want to skip ahead too much because I think it's worth I think it's worth kind of like highlighting and celebrating a couple of uh, shall we say Arya's accomplishments but I mean even the show sort I mean, of played them as like I know my favorite dark one. and twisted but you know she the guy that you know spent a lot of time smacking Sansa around and whatnot and who I think killed Sirio Forel possibly you know takes care of him and Bravos, and then you know ultimately finds her way back to Westeros, where I think you can pick up on this one. What does she do again? <laughs> Remind me. With Walter Free? Yeah. I don't know. Well, she slits his throat, and then she... What did she do first, Brian? Well, she killed his sons. Mm-hmm. Chops them up into some pie. <laughs> and he ate his kids. To be fair, he didn't have to eat his kids. He could have refused pie that day. But nope. Guess he chose well, you pie. didn't know. I mean... But the important thing, like, even beyond slitting his throat, what she says, you know, when she looks down to him, just like, you know, you know, pulls the face off and is like, the last thing you're going to see on this planet yeah. is a Stark looking down at you. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. just And like I said, you know, and I think this kind of goes back to the whole idea of being that kind of ultimately vengeance is, I'm not going to say a hopeless cause, because eh, she kind of pulled it off in some regards. But oh, yeah. That ultimately, you know, it might be your downfall. You know, a lot of these scenes are not played as like, oh, look at Arya, isn't she really getting after it? It's like, it's satisfying from the perspective of an audience member, but it's like, wow, she's become a cold, hardened killer. Yeah. You know, and there it is. Um, I mean, kind of tied in with, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I was talking about Danny. Um, which, by the way, worth noting, she also poisoned off the rest of the fries, so there was that, too. Oh, that's like, true. She got the whole Oh, that's friggin', true, yeah. that's true. It's like she didn't just get some of the sons and him. She got the whole family. They're in the dining area. Yeah. Yeah, and I think left, like, maybe one servant girl or something alone. It was just like, you know, yeah. tell everyone that winter came for house fray. <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue. We're just kind of going back to what, you know, what we said about Danny a while back and that her actions are noble, yet the way in which she pulls them off are pretty brutal yeah i I, I think that definitely you could the same could be said for Arya, or maybe i I wouldn't even say her actions are no i'd say her intentions are noble yeah yeah. her actions are the way she goes about very questionable yeah and you have a little bit of that in Arya, and then you know of course this all you know and of course like i said you obviously have them together and apart through much of the seasons and then ultimately you know they're the first two to take off and head for king's landing and her intent is to kill cersei his intent is to kill the mountain. And, you know, they have the little talk where he basically just kind of turns around and just flat out says, you know, you see me, you see what I've become. You see, I'm about to go in there and die. Yeah. This is yeah. what vengeance has done to me. Yeah. You still have a chance. Go out and live your life. 
and you know that's all it took yeah kind of interesting because there's that little tease that maybe she's going to be the one who goes after Danny and then as it turns out nope John but I would have I mean mm. it was a bit of a disappointment not to see her and Cersei kind of do something again not yeah I see your point to some degree but at the same time you know the show had a path that seemed to me to be a little different from the books to set out for the Lannisters and oh well yeah but yeah um what other thing that's just worth noting there I don't think we can get away from this This isn't really about the nature of vengeance so much as just the game bowl itself although it does kind of factor in but you know you finally had those two characters square off Mm. it's maybe one of the few cases of here's a person who wronged this person and they fought in a, in a pretty epic glorious, satisfying <laughs> like i think i told you broken like, stairwell wall fallen dragon flying around in the background it looks like a like, mortal kombat stage awesome. that's what it looked like yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where you really got to see um, and it was mortal kombat as yeah it turned out but yeah sorry you Go. really got to see the mountain in i mean you got to see him because his helmet came off but you got to see how much of an unstoppable force he really was i mean I don't know how he would have killed the guy. He only cut his head off, but... I'm not sure that would have stopped him. Matter of yeah. fact, um, there's more to be said about the mountain, maybe on a later occasion, or if we ever pick up and do more of these, but yeah. there's suggestions in the books that maybe the creature that the mountain ultimately becomes, like I say, he gets a different name, or I think might have said this in the I think you had original attempt at this, before. but yeah. Yeah. He there's a car- there's a there's a new seven foot tall big jacked member of the King's Guard who never takes his helmet off, never yeah. talks, named Sir Robert Strong, and it's like you're looking you're just reading it like okay, so that's the mountain. <laughs> but meanwhile they send this massive skull off to the Dornish to appease them for the death of the Viper, which as it turns out, doesn't appease the Dornish, who would have thought? But like I said, coming back, there's actual speculation Wait, stop there for a second. They send a skull? Yes, a massive giant skull. Which I'm getting to. Okay. That, along with something in a vision at some point, there's speculation that the character of the mountain or the creature that he becomes doesn't even have a head in the books. Oh, God. And possibly that's why he's always got, you know, the helmet, the helmet yeah. bolted on and doesn't talk. That would have been something. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, we shall see. But even still, you know, seeing kind of like the Frankenstein's monster, you know, like parallel where he just you know, immediately snaps, kills character or, you know, kills Kyburn and whatnot. And then, yeah. and like you said, yeah, he could have cut his head off. Maybe that would have stopped him. Maybe it wouldn't have. We don't, yeah. we don't really know what Kyburn did. Obviously it wasn't something. I'm assuming that good. fall stopped him into fire, but I don't know. I'm sure the, well, <laughs> the fire did the show's over. So you tell yeah, me, but dead. yeah, he's <laughs> dead. I mean, it's undeniable, but one of the things I did like about that was, you have that final moment, you know, where uh, he's just about crushed his head and he gets the dagger out and, you know, puts it through his eye, backing him off just for a second, only to see he's going to come again. And that's kind of that moment where finally Sandor Clegane overcomes his fear of fire and just like, okay, I hate you more than I fear fire. Yeah. You must die. And just tackles him through. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, that another one of like top moments of the show for me just mm. that whole battle but um but i mean at the same time also unfortunately what does life of vengeance ultimately get you well you got your revenge Dead. and that was it <laughs> you know and yeah. so 
It's like whether or not you agree or disagree with that concept in life, and some people obviously don't. Well, I think that is fine. one of the I think that is one of the messages overall of the piece is that basically vengeance is not the way. You know, it mean, doesn't always doesn't Arya kind of push against that though. Except she's going to go in and she's going to die killing Cersei, and she's talked out of it. And oh, up until that point, turns her life yeah, yeah, yeah. around and says, "I'm going to go be Westerosi Christopher Columbus now." <laughs> well, up until that point, I guess she had proven it wrong, but yeah, that's true. Go discover Westerosi America, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, um, but I mean, like I said, I think that's to my original point. I think that's ultimately the message is that. Vengeance will, you know, eventually bring back, uh, bring about your downfall. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at through, and it's not not even just these characters; these are two I mean, pro- primarily focused on. But I mean, if you just look through the show and throughout the story, there's plenty of examples of it's like, okay, you got revenge, and what happened? A lot of other people got killed because of it, or yeah. you know, I mean, Danny got revenge. How'd that go? Lots of charred bodies. Among, and a dead Danny, so <laughs> and two dead dragons, and possibly later on a dragon snack. I don't know. Who's to say? <laughs> Maybe Drogon got hungry. Uh, another thing I think we need to discuss here, of course, is Sansa and her general arc. Hmm, to a degree, you know, obviously she starts out as a sheltered little wannabe princess, and slowly turns into like one of the more politically savvy and. I don't know that I want to say... Well, I mean, manipulative is definitely the term you could use, but... She almost kind of gets trained by some of her uh, worst... Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's basically... <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of her best skills come from some of the worst people. By, by watching and, other people, yeah. I mean, even to the point that ultimately, you know, who's the one that kind of starts that... Well, I guess John started that ball rolling by actually telling his family about it, but who told Tyrion? But she still... She has an interesting arc, just... In that, you know, she starts out as this sheltered, you know, kind of little wannabe with, like, these grand ideals about, again, nobility, knighthood, honor, etc., this, that, and the other. Gonna marry this handsome prince who turns out to be Satan incarnate, basically. <laughs> Only to wind up married, arguably, to somebody worse than that. And, yeah, you know, and ultimately, as you were mentioning, a lot of the people that kind of influenced her you know people like Cersei people like Littlefinger etc it's like she took the lessons that they were inadvertently giving and ultimately you know kind of tempered that Used into them against them almost well didn't get to do so quite so much with Cersei but yeah but they absolutely did with Littlefinger and something else I think is interesting and I, you know like I said there were a lot of themes you possibly go at here but the one that kind of stuck out at me is if you get really technical about it it's almost a little bit like prodigal son Mm. not in quite the same regard but you have this character who started off the story she wanted to be anywhere but the north she hated the north yeah she wanted to be in king's landing she wanted to be in the south she wanted to be where it was warm she wanted to be where it was this and that and blah 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 look where she ends up (laughs) and ultimately comes to appreciate you know, the North and her heritage and being part of the North. And then on top of that ensures that the North, you know, at the end of the story is an independent kingdom all on its own yeah. ruled by her. And, you know, like I, said, I just, 
I didn't feel like we could do kind of character analysis and themes up saying at least a little something about Santa. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've obviously covered a lot that she did throughout, you know, particularly with kind of the, God forgive me, but kind of going from Sith Apprentice to Sith, you know, Master <laughs> who struck down the other Sith Master. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's also the redeeming qualities. And like I said, I think that's kind of one of the bigger ones that she, you know, not. I, I don't want to just straight repeat myself, but, you know, like I said, just that, you know, someone who kind of loathes where she is ultimately comes to appreciate it. Well, she's, and she's honoring, yeah, her entire her, yeah, her legacy, yeah, and, and her father's. You know, mm. she's honoring her father in that way. You know, mm. just to be able to take it and appreciate it, and yeah, be able to see it for what it is. You know, yeah, and ultimately, you know, and again, ultimately, you know, not only that, but brokers at, at the end, where it's like, yeah, you're my brother. That's cool and all we're still an independent kingdom or we're going to stay an independent oh, kingdom yeah, yeah. route, you know? So, you know, she winds up becoming very important to the thing that she one time, you know, hmm. wasn't even that big of a fan of. Yeah. And ultimately by the time it's over, it's like seemingly will probably never go south again. Well, and she's, to. yeah. And she's splitting apart from the one thing that she was yearning at the beginning. I mean, yeah. And willingly doing so. Yeah. Like as conscious me. choice, I can't vote for you because I don't want to be your subject. We're going to be a kingdom. Bye. Yeah. 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 Um, a couple more things to get to here. Um, just in general, I felt like we should cover some of Tyrion's greatest hits. I'll, we've hit, I've we've got hit a few of those, several, but mind, I think there's but, some more that, I mean, the one that always jumped out to me and I've mentioned mm-hmm. it before, so I don't want to jump into it too much. Was, he once brought a jackass and a honeycomb <laughs> into a brothel. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, continue. Um, his trial was a massive part for me. I think that was one of the most emotional uh, speeches in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, when he just flips out and, like, yes, just... that I remember just rewatching that a couple times because, mm-hmm. from a character's perspective, I mean, that that's a that was an amazing scene. Yeah, like I said, that's also one of those where it's like just perfectly nailed oh, exactly yeah. what happened to the book. And it's just like, yeah, did he win right. an Emmy for that? He's won. I feel it. like he's won an Emmy almost yeah. every year. Yeah, I know he's won one. Yeah, I think he's got at least three, and it could be more than that. That's one that but, jumps out immediately. But yeah, there's a lot more. Uh, another one of my personal favorites. Um, I mean, just in general, any of the interactions he had with Bron, which actually <laughs> yeah. also Bron worth mentioning, uh, was be- like became one of my favorite characters, and is like he's not super minor in the books but he's not quite as big of a part and i think a lot of that has to do with just the chemistry between the actors and everything and the guy who played him actually having some charisma about him because it's like it's a markedly smaller role in the book and i know that martin has said there's more for braun in the books so something to look forward to but you know like i said it's kind of a Stannis is not the best example of this, but again, the actor brought a whole lot to it and just kind of just brought that character to life in a way that, you know, the page really doesn't quite do. And So much so that I would have somehow liked to have seen some kind of weird spinoff with just him and Braun going on adventures, you know? Because, <laughs> I mean, it was a great pair. Yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of my... I, I just... Uh, God, I had several favorite moments with him, but uh, I think I'll just kind of start at the beginning and go from there. Um... Mm. Uh, body as it was, I rather enjoyed his confession at the uh, at the Eyrie when you know she brings him out and was like, "So here, here to confess your crimes." He's like, "Oh yes, 
and I can't repeat any of them here because I believe this is a PG show, but I know what you're oh, does he go on a tear and <laughs> yeah. you know, like half the audience is horrified. You have like Braun over there laughing, which I think is kind of like a first little indicator. Like, ah, these two probably can get along fine. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, in season two, a real standout one for me. I mean, there's obviously like some of his heroic moments and everything, but for me, a lot of it was just like the intrigue and whatnot. It was uh, when he he's made basically Hand of the King, or at mm. least you know spokesperson for Hand of the King, because I think Tywin's off fighting the war at that point. Yeah, but you know, one, oh, of, the, yeah, one of the few right. moments where he and Tywin almost have not a lovingly exchange, but like where Tywin validates him and is like, no, Mm. you're my son. You will speak for me. Yeah. Go and keep him in line. I think I know the senior. (laughs) Yeah. But he has the, um, he decides what he's going to do with Marcella and he brings in, if I recall, varies little finger. And of course his name would escape me now when it matters. Um, grandmaster, uh, grandmaster Picel. Oh yeah. yeah. Hated that guy. I think that's the idea. Yeah. But, and tells them all specifically, he's like, you know, to one, I'm going to arrange a marriage for Marcella to this person and send her off here. And I'm going to arrange one to the other, a different person in a different place. And then to Grandmaster Picel, I believe it was, you know, to the Prince of Dorne. Mm. And then just sits back and waits and sees what Cersei comes in to yell at him about. <laughs> And when she comes in and yells at him specifically about the Pycel one, it's like, okay, Pycel's the rat. Pycel's the one I cannot trust. Oh, it's just that was a brilliant true. tactic. Yeah, you know? that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Like, I hate to, I've actually used that in my own life at times. <laughs> see who says something? Yeah, like, all right, yeah. let's see which one of you talks. But anyway. <laughs> but that was uh, just, for me, kind of a high point, just because it just, you know, kind of expertly played. And then it's like, as soon as she came in and yelled at him about it, it's like, all right, so it was Pycel. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. And that's not, obviously not to say he could trust Littlefinger or necessarily trust Varys, but he knew for sure who he couldn't trust. Yeah. And, you know, that piece is off the board. So that was another standout moment for me. Um, any others come to mind? I, I'm i sure I've got a few, but... Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I thought, I thought one we were going to say was his interactions with Joffrey and just the one oh god yes yeah i mean there there was a couple instances where he just slapped him upside the head like two or three times i think there's a youtube video it's just like 10 hours of Tyrion slapping joffrey and it's like yep never gets old um <laughs> but i mean just in general like some of his interactions with joffrey like you said that and just also just being the one person in the kingdom who has absolutely no qualm just telling well i got two him and tywin yeah, just telling him off. Which actually, there's another one of my high points for me was uh, there's the scene where Tywin basically insists that somebody take Joffrey out and is like, take him to bed and give him milk of the pot. Oh yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. That's that's where uh, Joffrey talks back to Tywin. Yeah, so something like yeah. my father won the real war. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and, then, and but, Tywin just gets silent for a second. <laughs> just and stares you, at you, just like, like like volcanic eye, <laughs> you know, like okay, he's he's pissed. I remember that, but yeah, it, but then afterwards, you know, you have that old little sequence, and Tyrion just kind of looks over and is like, "You just sent the most powerful man in Westeros to bed <laughs> to, without any supper." To bed, yeah. To which Tywin replies, "If you think he's the most powerful man in Westeros, 
you're a moron. That's not his exact words, but you get the point. Just, you know. But, yeah, like I said, that was, again, just kind of one of my... I like, like, even just some little interactions like that. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, there's really few thing, a few moments that he had that just absolutely sucked, to be fair, but still, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, um, I think a crowning moment, and not just for Tyrion, but just for everybody, um, the scene where ultimately Brienne gets knighted in Episode 2, Season 8, or just kind of everybody... You have all these people sitting around, half of whom have been enemies for several seasons, and they're all just I'd love that sharing episode a drink, so expecting much. to die tomorrow, and yeah. just you know letting it all go. Yeah, like, and of course, also uh, basically any time he and Jamie had any interaction, I was big on that. When he was drinking and talking to Bron or something, that was just gold every time. Yeah, yeah. there was the. Uh, I think it was the one where Jamie visited him in prison and they're talking about cousin Orson. Like that was one of the ones I always thought was interesting. Cause I think like a lot of the online fans hated that one because oh, Martin didn't write it. Meh. And it's like, yeah, that's one of the better like sections of the entire thing. You know, and I always remember the one quote from it or I may be paraphrasing here, but something effective, like as much written about great men, but you know, precious little, Written on morons, which <laughs> always just stuck with me. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I did have a request we'll from we'll a handful of uh, Yale friends who are listening to this about something that we didn't cover, which I feel like we can maybe knock out here pretty quickly and then bring the show to a close. For a part four. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> we going to Martin this. But it was about the, um, the Direwolves, right? Basically, well, about the fates of the wolves and kind of how they interact uh, like intertwined with their owners and yeah. we we kind of touched on the intertwined with their owners well, we touched on a handful of them yeah uh, and i'm uh, i know there's at one point you know we talked a fair bit about the name lady and then in talking about the name of her kind of had to cover her because well one thing she drops off in like episode two but you know as for her fate i mean there's kind of the obvious bit which we already covered which is you know Okay. Early on, she drops off and, you know, separated from her pack, led astray, bad things happen to her. Okay. Well, look at her owner. Yeah. Much the same. Uh, from there, we can go to Grey Wind again and, you know, back to my old theory about Gone with the Wind. It kind of sucks because Grey Wind in the book, he still got a, you know, very undignified end after a point. But instead of just a couple guys came by with crossbows or with crossbows and dropped him in his pen, he, you know, is set loose and massacres a handful of fries before he's brought down. And that would have been a nice way to see him go out. But you know, again, the wolf, the the infamous wolf budget that has come up a lot about this show. So I wish they could have. Uh, I maybe, would have liked to see him more. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, eh, thematically, it kind of fits with Rob. You have, you know, unfortunately, his wolf goes out the way he does, which is in surprising fashion while he's technically captured and doesn't know it. And, well, that's the end of that. And that, uh, I mean, honestly, that was one of the saddest. Yeah. I mean, that was one. You know, we we're talking about disturbing moments. A red wedding period. But yeah. That's yeah. It. But seeing um, the wolf's head. Oh, God. Yeah. Rob, that was that actually, was, I think, the next episode even. Which, that was rough. Yeah, that was the next yeah. episode. And that's another thing that's like talked about in the books, and it's like 
That's really sad. <laughs> I think the one difference, I think in the books, I don't think Arya sees it. I think it's just talked about and, uh, you know, kind of a let your mental, let your mind do the rest of the work. And then, you know, in the show, they actually made sure she sees it, which, again, you know, you want to talk character building and fuel for vengeance. Well, there it is. Yeah. But yeah. That is one of the more egregious moments. So, but, you know, I mean, again, ultimately, though, again, to my point, fate intertwined with Rob's undignified death, undignified ending, desecration of corpse, etc. And, mm. you know, gone with the wind. Uh, from there, uh, we got a couple others to cover, of course. And Shaggy Dog, again, true to his name, true to his owner, and true to the true to what a Shaggy Dog story is. A very undignified, kind of went nowhere ending. You know, the Umbers capture uh, Rickon, and they bring in the severed head of a dire wolf and that's the end of that you know honestly i forgot about that scene yeah well it's kind of that's sad yeah but it is one of those things again where you know like i said i think martin has a certain bit of i don't know meta in him when he comes to writing by naming the wolf shaggy dog in the first place kind of kind of a hint at things to come and you know well definitely played into that yeah yeah because it was you know very unsatisfying very (laughs) not yet much i mean it was sad but that kind of unsatisfying, but still an unsatisfying ending to a story that kind of just really went nowhere. And, yeah. you know, again, much like that of Zoner. Uh, let's see. Summer. Yeah, we can cover Summer, but we can't forget Nymeria because mm-hmm. I completely forgot Nymeria the last time. Um, regarding Summer, you know, again, that's the wolf that I think was named to represent hope and unfortunately as you saw wasn't much hope for him um that is one of those cases where i have this feeling that it may not go quite that exact same way in the books as in the show because again i kind of mentioned a couple minutes ago but the wolf budget Mm -hmm. where it seemed like you know uh how many dragon battles do we need okay kill another wolf (laughs) and yeah just because it's sort of and i mean to be fair i don't know how much hope does exist in this universe but still you know you're kind of, like I said, Brand's powers are a little more distinct in the book and whatnot, and it seems a little. Remind me, and maybe some people at home, uh, what what happens to Summer? I'm not thinking. Straight he here. dies in the cave protecting Bran during the escape, which ultimately leads to the death of Hodor and the death of that's the Three Eyed Raven. Right. Okay. He just rushes them. It's just yeah. like you hear a yelp, and that's the end of that. And that's right. And again, I hate to say it, but that's one of those cases where I really do think, okay, that was death by wolf budget, you know, or lack of wolf budget, because I can't, it's hard for me to fathom not having the one that's sort of named for hope, you know, alive and kicking somewhere at the end. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong about that. I guess we'll see. But, you know, I do know that Martin is on record saying that that kind of how that played out, the hold the door sequence will not play out the same in the books. So... Oh, wow. you know, that's the payoff, but that's not, you know, it's not exactly how it'll come about. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. Here's hoping. Um, but in any case, it's like, if you want to go for, if, if we want to go with the show only theme, I don't know. They just extinguished hope. Yay. <laughs> Which they technically didn't do in the actual show. So again, I blame the wolf budget. Yeah. Uh, I think from there, we should probably jump to Nymeria because like ghost, one of the few remaining, you know, Someone's, someone who, is mowing outside my window, so please bear with that. Go no, ahead. they're not. 
He's imagining things. <laughs> and so are all of you. Yeah. It's auditory hallucination. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> but yeah. Um, Nymeria, you know, again, kind of if you want to check the parallels, separated from family, and like Arya, runs off to, you know, become... That's true. Seasoned, yeah. strong, you know, powerful. Yeah. Wolf. And, you know, you see her reappearance, you know, during the one scene with Arya, where I can't remember what she says, like, you went your own way or something like that. But, you know, the point where it's like, basically recognizes, like, she's out doing what she wants to do. Yeah. Let her do it, not try to bring her back in the fold as a pet. Also, wolf budget, probably, again. But. You know, like I said, there's still that kind of parallel because, again, ultimately, what does Arya do? You know, like I said, separated from the family, and then ultimately, at the end, chooses goes off to go to off on her own path and separate from the family once again. Yeah, you know, that's funny. Yeah, you just don't really think about that. That's yeah, that's cool. How it ties in, and then of course, Ghost. I think is the coolest tie-in. Yeah, yeah, but you know, even even though Jon's not technically a ghost, but. No, he does die. But, I mean, as we mentioned, there's a lot more to the word ghost than just dead man walking, you know, which we already covered. But again, you know, treated basically as a ghost in his own home, treated as an outsider, you know. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, sent to the wall, exiled, and then sent to the wall again, exiled. And, you know, but ironically, before he goes up there, you know, sends ghost off with... uh Tormund, and that's the point where internet is outraged. Yeah, it's the point where a lot of fans decided that oh well, we'll never see Ghost again. This sucks. I was okay. more like, man, we're gonna see Tormund again. <laughs> that no, dude's awesome. Turns out both you and the internet were yeah, wrong, right? yeah. But yeah, got to um, see both. But you know, again, and it kind of you know what happens to him before it happens to John kind of mirrors John's story in that own way which is not really he's exiled but it's like go to the true north where you belong yeah and ultimately that's what that's happens where, to John that's where they go and yeah. then again that satisfying meetup finally and it's like there are you happy he pet he, he pet ghost <laughs> he pet the ghost pet yeah, ghost pet everyone ghost. I think ghost gave him a lick maybe yeah uh, I don't know but whatever he had a he had an interaction you get the point yeah and you know i mean there's like i said there's not really much else to say about it we kind of established that but yeah like i said just him being sent off to the you know the true north quote unquote where he belongs is kind of a little bit of a precursor for what ultimately happens to john yeah and then they reunite and then they ride off into the forest happily ever after i guess i think at the time of viewing that everyone <laughs> including me were like Oh, man, you know, it's like, but now, you know, after we've had a lot of time to think about it, it is really the best ending. I mean, he's with ghosts, he's with the wildlings, mm-hmm. he's with his buddy Tormund going off into the north. I mean, seemingly a ton of people on Reddit would disagree with you, but you know what? We'll save that for next episode. <laughs> I think next episode will be a very Reddit-filled episode. <laughs> next episode will be a lot of fun. <laughs> Just mainly kicking back and listening to you here. But, uh, yeah, we were planning for three episodes. Much like Martin. We're going to have to push that to four, and I think episode four will wrap it up. If it doesn't, I don't know what happened. I told you what will happen. Same thing that always happens. (laughs) A meandering five that goes nowhere and ends on cliffhanger. There you go. We'll just stop mid-sentence and just cut it and be like, yep, there it is. There's our legacy. But 
we're going to let you guys go there. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back for a fourth and final. And maybe I'll just agree that Melisandre is, will always be our queen. No. And, um, she's not even real redhead. She will live forever in our hearts. What is it with you and gingers? Beautiful Melisandre. Bye. Brunette, by the way. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>